Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hi, my name is John Monday, and I'm the executive pastor of the Whole Life Church. Welcome to Whole Life Church and to 2021. This first week of the new year had me thinking of this silly cheer we do at my daughter's volleyball games. Whenever the server hits an ace that the other team is unable to return, the fans cheer, we want another one just like the other one, ace, 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 ace. I think I speak for most of us when I say that when it comes to 2021, we definitely do not want another one just like the other one. It's been a tough year. For some, it's been difficult financially. Jobs have been lost or hours reduced. Some are at risk of losing their homes. Some have lost their homes. In our nation of plenty and around the world, families and children will go to bed hungry tonight. For many, jobs are still secure, but everything that is normal has been upended. The human interaction that we crave, that we need, has been limited and in some cases, eliminated. The stress of living to varying degrees in isolation during a pandemic has taken and is continuing to take an emotional toll. And of course, many have lost their lives, often dying alone without the comfort of friends and family. And in the midst of this global pandemic, the sins of centuries of racism and inequality have rushed to the front of our collective consciousness and demanded to be addressed. And all this has happened during the ugliest and most contentious presidential election of our lives. 365 days ago, who would have guessed that this year, 2020, that started with so much promise, would go the way it has gone? So I'll say it again, I at least do not want another one just like the other one. And the church, the church, and when I say the church, I mean the global body of Christ in all its organized forms, has taken blow after blow. Many are beginning to question the relevance of the church in a post-pandemic world. I understand that question. But I believe the message of the gospel has never been more relevant, more poignant, more current, and more longed for in the heart of humanity than it is today. We are stewards of a message, of a story, of good news that must be told, and it will be told. I love the message of Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. As the disciples were approaching Jerusalem, they began to joyfully praise God for the miracles they had seen. When the Pharisees told Jesus to quiet them down, Jesus replied that if they did not cry out, the stones would cry out. We have been made stewards of the gospel of Christ. But if we can't or don't do the job, he can still raise stones that will. 
Today we begin a series on stewardship, but our focus will not be stewardship of money. Instead, what does it mean to be stewards of the gospel? As I was studying and praying in preparation for today, I was finally unable to escape the conviction that before I can talk about stewardship of the gospel, I must first talk about the gospel. It further occurred to me that the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, testifies to this gospel with which we've been entrusted. So I feel compelled today to preach the entire Bible cover to cover. Should take me about 10 minutes to cover everything I know. So here we go. There once was a time, way back in time, when the world and all in it were perfect. God created a world filled with beauty and placed humans in that world that he might commune with them and they with him. Some argue that those humans were indeed God's crowning creation, and the Bible itself declares that we have been created a little lower than the angels. All was at peace and in perfect harmony with the Creator and His will. The Creator lavished His love on His creation, and creation returned that love in worship. But that time is not this time. And there's a time coming when all evil, all sadness, all death, all war, all sin, all misunderstanding of God will be reconciled. All creation will worship God. He will continue to lavish his love on creation and we will respond in love. We will give our worship of our own free will. We will be in community with each other and God and that kingdom will never end. We you and I will live in the light of God. We will drink freely from the river of life that flows from the throne of our Savior Jesus. We'll eat freely of the tree of life that stands in the middle of that city, that same tree of life as was in the beginning. And we will walk with our Savior hand in hand. The one who created us, pursued us, gave his life for us and redeemed us. He will smile at us and fill us with his perfect love and grace. But that time is not this time. And although everything is fully accomplished, we are yet to fully comprehend it. So now we've covered Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 22. Let's get into the middle a little bit. God in his infinite wisdom chose to create a creature, a race of creatures, in fact, in his own image, humanity. And he gave us an ability that seems somewhat unique. While we have been created to worship God and live in his presence, he gave us, you and I, the ability, the right to choose who we would worship. And this is key. He does not and will not compel our choice. He refuses to force our worship. He will not remove our freedom regardless of how much pain, sacrifice, suffering it causes both to us and to him. He defends our right to walk away from him, no matter the cost. 
a cost far greater than we can ever comprehend. And we did walk away. Each of us individually and all of us collectively turned our backs on our creator and we chose to worship something else, someone else. We chose to say to our loving father and God, not thy will, but mine. We have all committed the same sin. And when we say to God, I'm going to do it my way, what we are saying is, God, I choose myself as the object of worship rather than you. You've probably thought some about worship, money, power, fame, but do not be deluded. All of these are simply veneer over the truth that we are worshiping ourselves. The choice really is that simple. Do I worship God or do I worship me? And that brings us to the end of Genesis 3. I can't think of anything that has taught me more about the heart of God than having children myself. When my son Luke was about three, I was installing wood floors in our home. Clearly, I don't have the skills of Ivan or Dimitri, but I was struggling through it. And hey, I was doing a pretty good job. Luke saw what was going on and disappeared into his room, reappearing a few minutes later with his play school tool belt on, strapped on, complete with plastic hammer, level, measuring tape. He sat down next to me and went to work. Within a few minutes, it stopped being fun, at least for me. He began trying to push me out of the way. He wanted my tools and was fully prepared and confident in his ability to do the job. What started as cute was rapidly becoming irritating. Which, by the way, is a statement about me, not about him. But this simple story illustrates for me the rest of the story from Genesis 4 through Revelation 21. When we, like petulant children, decide to take our fate into our own hands, God permits it. When we decide to worship ourselves, God in heaven defends our choice. He not only permits it, but he kneels from heaven and gives us a blueprint. When we decide to save ourselves rather than rely on God, he shows us exactly what will be required. You want to earn your salvation? You want to prove your worth? Here are 10 simple rules. Follow them and you'll be righteous. And we try and we fail and we try and we fail. And God extends his hand of mercy to say, stop trying. You cannot do it. Just rest in me. And we refuse. Instead, we refine the laws of God in the deluded belief that if we can break them down, better understand them, take them in bite-sized chunks, then we can earn our way. I love the message that Jesus conveyed in the story of the rich young ruler. What must I do to be saved, he asked. Keep the commandments, Jesus answered. Done that. What else, he asked. Oh, just one more thing. Sell everything, give it all to the poor, and follow me. 
And the young man realized, he finally realized that he was not capable of doing what was required for salvation. And as religious people, when we get to this point of realizing that we can't keep the law, we too often commit the most heinous of sins. People ask us what they must do to be saved. And in the words of Jesus, we place burdens on them that we ourselves cannot bear. In our moments of sanity, we realize that we're in trouble, and we briefly turn to God. God, in his infinite mercy, says, yes, my child, come to me and rest in my love. And we rest briefly, then return to our self-serving path. Until, until finally, one day, through Jesus' reckless and relentless pursuit, We reach the moment of total surrender and realization that we can never do enough or believe enough or earn enough to save ourselves. That moment arrives for us individually, and it arrived in history when in God's wisdom the fullness of time was achieved so that all humanity might know and understand how hopelessly lost we are. And that our act of turning from God has made a Savior, a Messiah, essential. Then God himself, in the greatest act of humility and sacrifice that we will never understand, put on the clothing of humanity and came to live with us as one of us, so that we might see what righteousness and justice and love in human skin looks like. But not only that we might witness it, but that by his merit, all the world would be reconciled to him. That we might finally rest, truly rest in the love of our God and Savior. And in that rest, we might understand anew what God intended from the start. That we are worthy of all the love that he, the God of the universe, has to give a worthiness not born of our efforts, but imparted to us by our God, our creator, our savior, and our friend. To the best of my understanding, that is the gospel. And every word of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation fits into that gospel narrative of love, redemption, and reconciliation. So how can we be good stewards of this gospel? Charles Swindoll in his book, Grace Awakening, said, Grace has not been preached until it's been abused. I'll say it again. Grace has not been preached until it's been abused. To the degree that I understand what he meant, I believe it's true. And this abusive preaching of the gospel is where we begin our stewardship. So it's my intention to abuse the gospel of Christ right now. And that abuse begins with this statement. You are worthy. If I could say, and you could hear only one thing today, I'd want it to be this. You are worthy. You are worthy of all the love that the creator of the universe has to offer. If you truly understand this, then you have a full comprehension of the gospel, and you might as well tune out now. 
But you don't understand this. Just like I don't understand this. It is utterly incomprehensible. So let me say it again. You are worthy of all the love, the grace, and mercy that God, the creator of the earth, the heavens, and countless unimaginable worlds has to offer. You are worthy. And God has reserved salvation, redemption, peace, joy, acceptance, and love for you by name before the universe was sparked into existence. You are worthy. As I was going over this outline with my daughter, Taylor, she shared a story with me. I've asked her to share that story with you. I was having a conversation with one of my friends when they started telling me about their mom. Neither she nor her husband were raised Adventist. They grew into the Adventist faith. My friend then said that their mom often thinks of herself as not good enough of an Adventist. She tries to surround herself with people she considers good Adventists to become more like them. She wants her children to marry very strict, spiritual people and wants her son to become a pastor. She has a specific ideal life planned out for her children because by doing so, she hopes that she and they will be good enough. This was my response to my friend. It breaks my heart when people say they aren't good enough of an Adventist or Christian. God's grace runs so deep and stretches so wide that it doesn't matter who you are. There is no good or bad or better or worse Christian. God's grace covers all your flaws and sins, and he knows exactly who you are. Having the littlest faith will carry you through, and even that faith is a gift. Grace is the best gift because it doesn't matter who you are. You were created in the image of God. You are clothed in mercy and wrapped in grace. So you are an Adventist, a Christian, a person of faith. You are not good, not bad. You just are. I can tell you that having a daughter that understands grace that way is not the best way to get dishes done after supper. But it certainly warms this father's heart. And while Taylor's context is Adventist because she attends an Adventist church and school, her story could just as easily have said Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, or countless other divisions of Christianity. Some of you have been told all your life that you are not worthy because you are not good enough. You've strived for years to be righteous, to earn God's love, while always realizing that you don't measure up. You have come to believe that you are not worthy and that you will never and can never be worthy of God's love. You've been lied to. God has declared you worthy. There are young people who have strived to earn the love and approval of parents who can never be pleased. There are fully grown people that continue to try and fail to earn that love, that approval, that acceptance that remains elusive. Hear me now. That love and acceptance that you long for is not withheld because of your deficiencies. You are a precious child of God. Created for and worthy of all the love and acceptance you long for. Perhaps you're involved in a relationship that's demeaning, belittling, 
or even abusive, and you have so internalized that message that you believe you're worthless. It's a lie. The God of the universe has declared that you are worthy and you've been made worthy by the life of his own son. You may have been told and you might even believe that you are not acceptable because you're fat or thin or stupid or gay or ugly or tattooed or pierced or lazy or let the list roll on. But these things you've heard are simply not true. You are worthy. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. God, through his son, Jesus, has declared you worthy. So worthy is what you are. And make no mistake, we're not worthy because of our own great deeds. We are worthy because God created us to be worthy. He sacrificed himself to make us worthy. And he declared to the universe that we are worthy. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you will ever comprehend this gospel. Just revel in it. This gospel of grace has been imparted to us and placed in our stewardship. How do we become good stewards of it? I believe there are two things we can do. First, cultivate the awareness that every person is fully aware of God's love. Every person. Republican or Democrat, worthy. Black, Asian, white, Hispanic, worthy. Poor, worthy. Rich, worthy. Communist or capitalist, worthy. Christian, Hindu, pagan, Muslim, Jew, atheist, or even Seventh-day Adventist, worthy. Transgender, worthy. White supremacist, Worthy. Black nationalist? Worthy. When you stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone who stands against all that you hold dear, someone who you believe is working to destroy that which you believe in, as there has been way too much of in 2020, look at them and know that they too are created in the image of God and have been declared by God to be worthy vessels of his grace. Every person you encounter today and every day is worthy of God's love. And every person you encounter needs to hear that and to be shown that by you. So this is the first thing that we can do. The second is the other side of the same coin. As we remember that the person in front of us is a worthy recipient of God's grace, Remember in the same moment that we ourselves do not deserve God's grace, have done nothing to merit God's grace, and have been made worthy only by him. This year, let's stop trying to explain what people must do to earn acceptance from God, and instead help a hurting world understand what God has done and declared on their behalf. Then, we'll be good stewards of the gospel. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. 
loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. In our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.